We are going to be talking about faith this morning, and what kind of a faith would you like to have? One that seems comfortable or one that can get you through the storms of life? And we'll be looking at that as a part of our series this morning. Uh, We've been in this series called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And today, in particular, we're going to be talking about facing our challenges and conquering our fears. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would teach us, guide us by your Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at a passage that's very familiar to us, and I pray that that wouldn't get in the way of what you want to say to us, but that our hearts would be open and sensitive to your Holy Spirit this morning. Teach us about faith, strengthen and encourage us in our walk with you, and help us to be bold for the sake of the kingdom to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this summer, as many of you know, I had the opportunity to go on a backpacking trip called Pastors on Point. And it is a little bit like an outward bound trip for pastors where they take you out of your comfort zone and they have you do a bunch of different things that are out of the normal for pastors. One of the things they did right away was they took away our watch and our cell phone. So we were disconnected from the world and from time. And that in itself is a little bit uh, unsettling in some ways. And then uh, they had us do some activities like rock climbing and rappelling. Uh, and whitewater rafting that were really quite fun but are also a little challenging. Here's a picture of me in one of the rafts uh, as we were about to go through uh, the rougher part of the water. Uh, Mark Stevenson, who's in the front there, is the person who leads the Pastors on Point uh, groups and the study that we do when we're out there. And uh, he was telling me about this particular area where they're set up to take these pictures that on a previous trip, one of the pastors in the boat looked so terrified at what was going to happen that they decided not to show that picture. Just kind of put that aside. So they didn't think that would be good recruiting for future trips. So uh, this one maybe is a little bit better. I think I would have been more relaxed had I known that our our student guide in the back, um, I found out later that this was his first time soloing down the river. Uh, He had been on trips before with others, but he's leading a group of pastors now, and this is his first time there as we put our life in his hands. Uh, But we we made it through all okay on this and had a lot of fun doing it. One of the other things that they do on this trip besides stretching us with these opportunities is that they help us to identify our giftedness and uniqueness in ministry to find basically our sweet spot in terms of what we enjoy doing and what we were made to do. And it really was a very rewarding trip. But when you go on a trip like this, you realize that the group coming in, everyone has different fears or concerns uh, going into a trip like this. One of the pastors had had knee surgery. He was concerned would he be able to do all of the hiking on the backpacking part of it. But by God's grace, his knee held up really well. Another guy was afraid of heights. He was a younger guy, a pretty uh, big guy, but he just had a fear of heights. And so when it came to the rappelling, that was the hardest part of the trip for him. I was most concerned about the altitude and making the adjustment, being at about 10,000 feet up to 12,000 feet again, uh, where that just takes a little time to adjust. But again, uh, that all went well. And when I think about that on a trip like this, I realize that the same thing is true in ministry. People have fears when it comes to ministry, when God asks us to do something. 
And for some people, their greatest fear would be to get up in front of a group of people and say something, share their testimony or speak to others about it. That would be frightening. For other people, it's sharing their faith. The idea of sharing the gospel with a friend is just uh, intimidating, or how do you do that? For some people, their fear is praying out loud uh, with a group of people, and they think, what would I say, or how will it sound? Uh, Some people have a fear of getting involved in a Bible study because they go, I don't know my Bible very well, and I'll feel out of place. Other people are afraid if you ask them to teach Sunday school or work with a group of two-year-olds or maybe be involved with our middle school students and they think, oh man, I could never do that. Well, we can arrange that for you if you'd like to try. (laughs) There are always ministry needs in different areas and there are things that God may be asking you to do. And today we're going to talk about facing our challenges and conquering our fears and taking those steps of faith that are really good for us to continue to grow in our relationship with Him. We're going to talk about this by looking at the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Again, it's familiar, so I won't be reading all of it. I'm just going to pick out parts of it as we go through the text today. Just like David, we are in a spiritual battle, and we face a formidable foe. And you see that in the first part of chapter 17. Uh, It says here, beginning of verse 1, that the Philistines had gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephestamine between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. So you have this picture of two armies lined up for battle on opposite sides of a valley. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves and he had a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me, and if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said this day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For the armies of Israel, the enemy that they faced was the Philistines, and it was their champion, Goliath. And these two armies are camped opposite to one another, and this proposal is made by Goliath to settle this by having two champions, one from each army, fight each other, and whoever wins, then the other side will serve the victors. Now, this was an unusual proposal. It was not something that Israel had ever been involved in. It was something that the Philistines perhaps had brought from the Greeks and passed. You've seen sometimes like in the battle at Troy, this kind of proposal. 
but it never really worked very well. Even when one champion defeated the other, there usually was a war that was fought as nations tried to settle these things in open conflict. But I want you to hear the text and how it takes the time to describe Goliath, this champion of the Philistines. I mean, he's huge. Uh, and he's described as being over nine feet tall. Now, there is a Greek text that says that he was six foot nine inches tall. It may have not been uh, exactly, you know, uh, nine feet tall. We're not sure in terms of sometimes we come upon these numbers in the Scripture and there are times when we wonder, um, do we have it accurately? In any case, the picture we have is here is this man who is huge and intimidating. His armor is impenetrable. I mean, it, there's lots of metal when you read the description. And that's because the Philistines had a monopoly on metalworking. They had chariots of iron, and that's why they ruled the plain, and that's why the Israelites were sticking to the hill country. And so here is this guy. He's got this helmet of bronze that covered his head, but not all of his face, as we shall see. He has a coat of mail that weighs 126 pounds that protects his chest and his vital organs. His legs are covered by bronze greaves, which are like shin guards. Plus, he has a shield that his armor-bearer carries that's, again, quite large for his size. So when you look at Goliath coming out, this champion in battle, I mean, he looks indestructible. He's this man who's covered with metal everywhere, and he looks intimidating. His weapons are deadly. They are described as a javelin of bronze. He has a large sword, which David will use later to cut off his head, but he has this large sword. He has a spear that in thickness is like a weaver's beam. And the point on that is as heavy as a bowling ball. I mean, this is about 15 pounds, this point on this spear. And his threats are menacing. He declares that I am a Philistine, and you are slaves. You are slaves of Saul. And he taunts the Israelites. He mocks them. He scorns them. He defies the God of Israel. And when the Israelites heard him, Saul and all of the soldiers were terrified. They were terrified by this man. But what we see later is that when David saw him and heard him, David saw an uncircumcised Philistine who was defying the living God. Now let me put this story in the context of what was happening in 1 Samuel. Israel is living in a time of instability. And what they want more than anything else is to be uh, secure as a country. They want some stability. They have enemies all around them. And they have lost faith, really, in God to protect them. And what they think they need is a king. All the other nations have kings. We need a king who can organize us, lead us into battle, fight our battles, and we'll be secure and stable. And so God gives them a king. And do you remember how Saul is identified when he was chosen to be king? He stood a good foot taller than anybody else. He was a head taller. He was their Goliath, if you will. Except at that time he was hiding among the baggage when God sent those to find him. Saul would disobey God and he would lose the kingdom. 
Saul, in a sense, was like their champion, their Goliath, but he wanted no part of this Philistine champion. And so they stay in the background. And what does God do? God comes along and He chooses an unlikely king for Israel. He comes and He chooses a shepherd boy. A shepherd boy who is small in stature, who is young. He's the youngest of all his brothers. He's not even at the age that's really ready for battle. So his three older brothers are with the armies of Israel and David's just a runner bringing food back and forth from his father to his older brothers. He's the runt of the litter, if you will. And yet he is God's man that he has chosen to bring about a great victory. Why does God do that? Well, in the context of Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16:7, the Scripture says that the Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The most important qualification for ministry is our heart. It's not our size, our stature, it's not our education, it's not our talents. It's our heart. It's our love for God. It's our faith, our confidence in Him. It's our availability, our willingness to be used by the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And so when God calls us and He asks us to take a step of faith and get involved in service and we make all kinds of excuses perhaps to say, well, you know, I don't know if I can do that or this or whatever it may be. You may be the very person that God wants to use if you will step out in faith and trust Him. And trust Him to develop those gifts and abilities and to bless you and to use you. You see, we face a real enemy too. His name is Satan. And he comes along and he taunts and he mocks and he scorns. And if Satan can intimidate us, If he can get us to sit on the sideline and never use our gifts in ministry, well then he's won. If he can get us to be so focused on our stuff, the things that we own, or focused on the things of this world that we don't have time for God, he's won. What God wants us to do is to keep our eyes on him. And to remember that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. That Satan is a mighty foe, but we have an all-powerful God. We have an all-powerful God. And if He calls us, He will supply what we need. And if He wants us to be involved in ministry and to step up to the plate or to take one of those steps of faith in areas where we feel like maybe, I don't know if I can do this, God will be there to give us the grace that we need. So how should we respond to the challenges that we face? Well, I think there's two very important things that we need to remember out of a text like this. One of the things is this, that fear immobilizes Fear immobilizes, and we see that in this text. The armies of Israel were paralyzed with fear. Look again at verse 11. 
On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I mean, these taunts would continue for 40 days, and they're just going to say they're going, what do we do? What do we do with this guy? Who's going to face him? Saul tries to sweeten the pot in the sense that whoever, you know, wins this victory, whoever defeats Goliath, well, I'll, I'll give him, you know, my daughter in marriage. I'll give him all these rewards and, and honors and things like that. Nobody's coming forward. Verse 24 again. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. They're terrified. They're paralyzed by fear. They don't know what they can do. All they see is Goliath as champion, and they don't see any way that they can defeat him. You know, fear is an interesting thing. Fear can literally kill people. In 1991, during the Gulf War, when Iraq launched a series of Scud missiles on Israel, do you remember that? There was great fear in Israel because they were concerned that those Scud missiles might carry biological weapons. And when those attacks began, I mean, the people were just, they were afraid. They had been warned about this possibility. So the government had issued gas masks to the people. They had issued automatic atropine syringes in case of a chemical attack. And every household had been told to prepare a sealed room. Take plastic, seal off a room as best you can because you're going to need to go into that when there's a Scud missile attack. But what was interesting was that after the war, psychologists studied the number of deaths that occurred during that time. And they found out in those first few days, a large number of people died and then it declined. It declined. And what they realized was that after that first strike turned out to be less cataclysmic than was feared, the levels of stress declined markedly. As in other wars, people adapted to the situation with surprising speed. And then as the fear and anxiety subsided, the death rate also declined. There were 17 further Iraqi missile attacks in the following weeks, but the Israeli mortality figures over this period were low. It was fear and the psychological impact of the missiles, not the physical impact, that claimed the majority of victims. More people died from the fear of the attacks than died from the missiles themselves. Fear is also a major reason why people don't do what God asks. Fear of failure? What if I try and fail? Or what if I try and it doesn't work out like I planned? Fear of what others will think. What if I take this step of faith? What if I share the gospel with this friend? What are they going to think of me? Fear of what God may ask me to do. If I really surrender my life to Him, what's God going to ask me to do? Is He going to send me as a missionary? Is He going to ask me to do something I really don't want to do? Fear. Fear of change. Fear of letting go of my pride or my plans. Sometimes, surprisingly, people are even afraid to let go of their bitterness, unforgiveness, even addictions. People are afraid of change and what it might be like on the other side. And those fears keep us from experiencing 
God's best in our life. If we live in fear, we will never reach our potential. We will never become the person God wants us to be. Steps of faith, new experiences, help us to grow. We learn through those things. And we learn, in a sense, what we are good at and what we're not so good at. And we learn how God has wired us and where we can best serve in the kingdom. If we give in to fear, we will also miss out on joy. Because when we serve God and we use those gifts in ministry, there is great joy. I mean, it can be as simple a thing as, you know, if I said, well, I don't think I, I want to go on this pastor's on point trip, or I'm a little concerned about that whitewater rafting part of it, and I'm not so sure how this is going to go. You know, I would have missed out on a great trip and good fellowship. The same thing happens when there are opportunities to go, say, for example, on a mission trip. And sometimes people are a little concerned about that. And you have to weigh out whether those are legitimate concerns or whether it's just kind of worry and anxiety that's maybe not as real as you think it is, but you're just concerned about it. Because when you go on a mission trip, yeah, they stretch us. They're uncomfortable. There's differences in food and culture and language and sleeping quarters and all of those things. But oh, the joy. Oh, the joy to be a part of something that God is doing. And to see how He is working in other parts of the world. And the same thing's true here. When there are opportunities to serve children, I mean, here we announced today we've got some needs in the second hour of Sunday school to work with some of our children. You know, those are great kids who need somebody in their life who loves God and who's excited about that and who says that they, you know, want to step up and they would love to help and teach and encourage these kids. What a blessing that could be to them and to you. If we give in to fear, we miss out on joy. You see, if God is calling you to take a step of faith, don't let fear immobilize you or it will keep you from experiencing God's best in your life. And on the other side of the coin, what we see in this passage is we see that faith energizes. Faith energizes. We see that at the end of the chapter as this story goes on. I'd like to read verses 32 to 37. David hears about what Goliath is saying, and he comes to Saul. And he says, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. What gave David the courage to face Goliath? David's courage came from his faith 
in God. His courage came from his faith and confidence in God. And he recounted for Saul these stories of how God had given him strength in the past or given him confidence and boldness and victory. And that faith in God made all the difference in David's life. There's a story that John Ortberg shares in his book on this topic that we are looking at. It's a story about Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Viennese psychiatrist who survived the Nazi death camps at Auschwitz and Treblinka. And when he was there, he discovered that an imprisoned person who no longer had hope, who no longer had a goal, was unlikely to survive. He looked at all of those who were there and he made some observations about people and as long as people had faith or had a spirit of defiance even, of holding on to God and not giving in to their circumstances, as long as they had hope of being rescued or a goal, they were far more likely to survive than those who had lost all hope and gave up. And here comes David. David's a man of faith, a man of hope. The armies of Israel have lost hope and have given in and they don't know what to do in their circumstances. And David comes along as this man of faith whose faith will affect others. You know, faith believes that with God we are never helpless victims. And you think of that in the stories that there are in the Bible. I mean, Daniel, for example, he would honor God with his diet in a foreign land. He would not give in to Nebuchadnezzar's request. He would honor God in this food that he ate. Paul and Silas would sing hymns to God in a prison in Philippi. Peter and John would choose to fear God rather than man when the religious authorities commanded them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Each of these individuals would choose to hold on to God in the face of their circumstances. And when life doesn't turn out the way that we planned, the option of quitting always looks like sweet relief. I mean, when things don't go the way we planned, whether it's in a, a marriage or maybe it's in our work or maybe it's in a relationship or something else that we had planned, when it doesn't quite go the way we thought it should, the temptation is always there to quit, to give up, to stop short. But faith believes that God can work in any situation. Faith believes that God can bring change and hope to my marriage. Faith believes that God can provide for me in my time of financial need. Faith believes that God can give strength to cope with a difficult illness or disability or loss. Faith believes that God can give courage to overcome an addiction and He can set me free. Faith believes that God can help me to find a new job or a new ministry. Or faith believes that God can save the unsaved or God can heal when healing is needed. David looked at Goliath and he would say to him in verse 45 that you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You may think you have weapons, but the God of heaven is on my side. And God gave David the victory that day, and David's courage and faith inspired the armies of Israel. Fear immobilizes. Faith energizes. So I ask you today, is there a giant in your life? Is there a fear that is keeping you from following God with all your heart? It's time to lay that down. To confess it to God. To acknowledge it to Him. And then ask God to fill you with His power. And step out of the boat in faith. And I'm going to leave it to you today to identify what those things are in your life what the challenges are that you may be facing or what the opportunities are that God may be asking you to trust Him for. Well, let's pray. Father, would You help us in this area to be bold and to trust You and to take those steps of faith and to encourage one another, really, by what we are doing and what we're seeing happen. And so I pray that as Your people we would share the stories of the victories that are being won of the battles that are being fought and the things that you are doing in our lives. And we will give you all the praise and glory. Amen.